Um, just want to thank the incredible retreat team. <laughs> um, let's give a shout out to the retreat team, the entire retreat team, Blaine and Garrett and David Lawless for hooking this up with incredible meals and food and just for everybody who's helped out, everybody who led worship in the, in the talks. And um, again, I am still like on the mountaintop experience and it's kind of funny that I'm getting into this passage where we're, the disciples are coming off a, dis, uh, a mountaintop experience um, with the living Jesus when we look at the scriptures here today, it's fair to say that we've had a mountaintop experience here at Hope um, in the last retreats, and, um, and God has been just incredible and just answering so many prayers and doing so many things. And, um, but we have to understand that as we get down the mountain, it's not possible that she would fail. It's probably inevitable that you would experience some kind of failure or kind of struggle in your um, Christian life, in your walk with Jesus. And that's why this vision is, is not just a vision, at least um, to me and the elders. It's, it, it is something that has just given me such tremendous joy and rest of understanding that my, my life with Jesus starts with Jesus walking with me and loving me. And that I'm not defined by my performance or by what I do or what I don't do. I'm defined by the love of my Father and displayed to me through the love of Jesus and his affections for me, reminded by the Holy Spirit. It is just an incredible thing. So that as I'm coming out of this retreat and I know that I'm going to come head to head with my sin and head to head with, um, you know, struggles with maybe other people or my wife or my kids or um, just people that I know, um, that I have this body of Christ, this church that I can continue to depend on. And also that I have this God who loves me in spite of me. Amen. We, we struggle on a day-to-day -day basis and we're not gonna live on the mountaintop every week as much as I would love to go back to the hunt retreat and just kind of stay there um, and play wiffle ball and pray and spend time in God's word. I love to do that every week, but the reality of our lives is that we come back to mess. We come back to sin. We come back to life. And that's what the disciples are coming back to. They return just on the heels of seeing the transfigured Jesus on all of his glory. And then they come down the mountain. They have been given the authority to preach the kingdom of God, to cast out demons, to cast out sicknesses, to speak the name of Jesus over the sick and over death and even seeing dead people raised to life. And Jesus empowers them. Hey, you're going to proclaim the, the kingdom of God to the poor. You're going to cast out demons. And they go out in pairs in chapter 11. The power of the Holy Spirit gives them tremendous victory. Demons are cast out. Sicknesses and lepers are healed. The kingdom of God is proclaimed to the poor and to the rich and everybody in the middle. God is moving in incredible ways. These lowly, kind of ragtag disciples who didn't necessarily have a future, didn't have any name and notoriety are suddenly thrust into the spotlight and God is just moving. And then whack, they hit the wall. They are confronted with the other disciples that are dealing with just failure. And their failure is that they couldn't cast out this demon. 
they couldn't cast out this demon that was um, oppressing the son. And, and so after receiving and doing all these things and then seeing Jesus as a crescendo, these disciples are unable to, to, to cast and cure this demonized boy. And so as Jesus and some of his disciples just approach the crowd, the father just sees Jesus and runs to Jesus, which is probably just really just one of the simplest things I can take from this text. You're gonna fail, you're gonna struggle, run to Jesus, just run to him. And he runs to Jesus and he kneels before the living Lord of the universe. And I just acknowledges him. Kyrios, which means Lord. I went to your disciples, couldn't heal them. I need you, I, I, Jesus, I need you to heal my son. And, and Jesus um, looks, probably looks at this boy. This boy is probably epileptic, epileptic um, because of his symptoms, possibly. Um, definitely demonized because this, the, later on he does cast out the demon, but this sickness has overtaken his motor skills. He's not able to even walk or, and even to, to walk straight and he's having probably some kind of seizures and this demon had such a stronghold over him that he lost all of his motor skills that he just started falling in the fire in the water. And it was only a matter of time in which this kid is gonna be killed. And that's where the man of faith says, hey man, your disciples couldn't do it. What gives? Your disciples, I, I thought you had given the power to, to be able to heal and cast out demons, but they couldn't do it. Matthew seems to say that it was a sickness that could be cured and, and, uh, and a demon that could be cast out. But either way, it was casting or healing. The, dis, the disciples were just not able to do it. And so the answer was not found in the disciple, but the, the answer was found in the teacher. Now, Jesus comes up with some pretty strong words here and he calls him out and he says, and Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I be to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Faithless, meaning that he uh, was not just talking about his disciples, he was talking about this whole generation these, all these crowds and all that the crowds representative, which was Israel at the time, that they could not as a whole place their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, they can see that he was a hero. Yes, they can see that he was a prophet. Yes, they could see uh, that the spirit of God was on him, but yet they had not placed their life in trusting in Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, the generation was uh, compared to a bunch of pouty kids that, couldn't, that uh, would never get their way in whatever thing that they wished for. There were some kids that just, whatever you did for them, you couldn't please, and that's kind of what that generation was. They were perverse in which is the basic idea of just twisting and bending out of shape. And the, the term was, was kind of used in terms of pottery, in terms of misshapen um, uh, pottery that, uh, uh, that a craftsman had misshapen and had been distorted before firing in the oven. In the same way, Jesus said that their faith was misshapen and misplaced. And he says, how long shall I put up with you? What was Jesus frustrated about? Was he frustrated over the powerlessness of the disciples? Was he frustrated over the, 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 the faithlessness of the generation? Could have been both. 
And so, but whatever, whatever that happened, Jesus immediately went in and he said, bring him to me. And look at what happens in the text, in this story. And Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. It's like staccato, bam, rapid fire, boom, boom, boom. And Jesus completely heals this boy. Jesus rebukes the demon out, uh, off of him and the boy was cured at once. And this is just an incredible picture of Jesus's power. Again, they saw the power of the living Jesus on the mountain and now they came. And that even in spite of their failures, disciples are failures, Jesus just instantly succeeds. And it's just really pointing to Jesus that just as we talked about, we gotta run to Jesus. We gotta run straight to him because most of our lives may not be mountaintop experiences, but really what sustains us is our life with Jesus. Today I'm celebrating uh, my daughter's birthday, uh, Joanna, and, um, and it's her ninth birthday today. And um, her theme was horses. And, um, and then we also got her a bike. We were gonna actually put like a tarp on it and make it look like a horse. Um, and, uh, but that, that didn't work. Uh, <laughs> that didn't, that, well, we just didn't try. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then we got uh, just like, you know, had her horse drawings that she painted. We snuck it out of her room and we put it all over her room. And, um, and then um, I was able, even though I love what was going on at the men's retreat, man, my heart was yearning to come back to, to be able to see Joanna's face because she thought I was gonna be at the men's retreat till like noon and I'd miss all that. And then um, it turned out that our big surprise when I came, um, you know, did all the things, snuck around, didn't say a word. Caleb kind of let it go. He said, hi, daddy, like really loud in the morning. <laughs> but I was going to sit in the chair and just welcome Joanna. And, uh, and then she eventually, she flies in and she's like, hi, daddy. I was like, man, <laughs> how did you know? She's like, well, you were snoring so loud last night. Um, I was kind of confused why you were back home. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I just feel like a failure, man. <laughs> we had this big surprise. We've been doing this for like a month. And you're just like, okay, hey daddy. <laughs> no, just kidding. She, she loved it. I, I can tell. My point is, it's not about the mountaintop experience. It, it's in, she can have the most incredible birthday party itself. But the real point of it was the time in between. The day by day by day of just being with daddy, being with mommy, being with the kids, being together as a whole family, and just seeing her joy and just seeing how she's being built up day by day. It's not about the birthday. It's about the time that we've walked with our daughter, that we've spent time with her, that we, that we loved on her, and that we've loved, she's loved on us, and she's cared for us. And, just those are the times in which I am going to remember and she is going to remember. And just as we gave birthday blessings, it was just so good because one of our, our kids said, uh, Joanna, I, I'm so thankful because you're my sister. When we are off the mountaintop and we are struggling, sometimes the biggest, the most simplest thing we can say and, and remember is that I am Jesus's. I am loved. 
And it may not happen on the mountaintop experience. You may be a complete disaster, complete failure. But oh, that can just bring someone back to walking in stuff with the Spirit and being full of His love and being overflowed so that we can release all of our burdens to the Lord and confess our sins to one another and that we can be healed and that Lord, the Lord can just move um, in power in our lives. Faith is not grown on mountaintops. True faith, the quality of one's faith is shown through the ups and downs of life. And oh, I want to love my daughter well in the ups and downs of life and the struggles she may have experienced later, struggles she experiences now, the times in which she fails, the times she goes ups and downs. And it's so easy to have faith in Jesus. We're inevitably gonna fail um, when we go through mountaintop experiences. But when we are coming down from the mountaintop, true faith, the quality of one's faith is shown through the ups and downs of life. But it's the picture that Jesus who loves us, that will sustain us. Look at verses 20 to 21. It takes failure for us to realize this, um, that when we fail, it is a good thing that we fail because it releases us to get to the end of ourselves and to start again to renew our trust in Jesus in verse one, or verse uh, one, we knew that Jesus took his private disciples privately up to the mountain of transfiguration. Now, nineteen uh, verses later, the disciples actually take Jesus aside privately to ask him some questions about why they couldn't get the demon out, and they're probably just so embarrassed that they can't just they don't want to be straight with it, and so they had to wait for a time in which they can get together with Jesus. And look at verse twenty twenty one. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, "Why could we not drive it out?" And he said to them, "Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you.'" Now, from a superficial look at this passage, it seems like, man, the disciples didn't know, didn't have anything known. They didn't know what was going on. It's like they just had too little of faith. And I don't think, when you look at the text, it's actually not so much that they, they had little faith as like we put faith in cups and that the more faith you have, uh, the better. Um, as you're looking at the original languages, it's not talking about a absent faith or a small faith, it's talking about more of a weak, misdirected faith. Think about the pottery that is misshapen before they put it into the oven, right? That's kind of where they were going. And in fact, their faith was not placed wholly on Jesus, but their faith was just placed on themselves. Um, and so a lot of times I think we get into this mode of saying, oh, I don't have enough faith. Or we compare ourselves with somebody else who has gone into the slums or gone into like a mission field type of experience and we're like, man, that's awesome, but I'll never have enough faith like that. Well, you know what? When our faith is dependent on how much we have, then that means that our faith is in our control. And if our faith is in our control, then it's up to us to be able to take up our own faith without any trust, any dependence on God. And the message is just to try harder. And brothers and, and, and Hope Church, man, that's just like going up a mountain, 
with a 150-pound ruck, maybe a 1,000-pound ruck. There's no way. That is just so, so heavy. It's just a heavy load. And I hope that you don't see that in this text. That's not what the text is saying. But Jesus is saying, who are you going to trust? I see you came to the end of your faith. You failed, but who are you going to trust? Do you want to continue to trust in me, in the one that is, is from me, the livings and the wellspring of living water that comes to, 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 to quench your thirst and to give you sustaining enjoyment of me? Are you going to trust in me or are you going to trust in yourselves? Jesus uses this familiar term that we're not really familiar with. We have this contrast of a mustard seed, which was common in Palestine, not so common uh, with us. We're more used to the mustard, mustard, the French's mustard. Um, but Jesus knew that the only way to get his point it was through hyperbole. And so Jesus' point was this, like the smallest seed can have this, this the most biggest impact and would grow to a tremendous height, so the smallest bit of faith, even the smallest, the tiniest bit of faith, if it is placed in Christ, even if it's the weak mustard seed variety, to that point, Jesus can say, you can move mountains. Now, I think the Jews probably understood this as we're looking through the lenses of the first century. Jesus is not going to pick a mountain, <laughs> throw it around. Um, but the Jews understood this as something of great difficulty. That God, you know, we, we use it all the time. We use it metaphorically. We say, man, God is a mountain mover. He's a mountain shaker. Man, that was a mountain of food. Or, man, I got a mountain of problems. Um, or, man, God's love is as big as a mountain. And we use that because we have to put into words or some pictures something that our tiny, finite minds cannot grasp. And that's kind of the same thing that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, I'm not setting any limits on the power of what you can actually do when you depend on Jesus and trust him. He just says, nothing will be impossible for you. Is and I don't think Jesus is giving a blank check statement. He's not saying that we can just ask for anything as long um, as we just tack on trust in Jesus' name at the end. Um, as John Calvin says it memorably, he says, he does not mean that God will give us whatever comes heedlessly into our minds or mouths. But the answer is simple. When you are driven down to the depths of your despair and the depths of your failure, you are driven to Jesus. And then as you're driven to Jesus, you're driven to say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Lord, I don't want to do anything that's out of step, out of your will, but I just, Jesus, I just really want to do what you want me to do. And that's where we see Jesus, even in the garden when he was Governed, he was governed by a holy God and a love of God that pervaded his very heart and his soul, that he knew that his father delighted in him, but really also that he was governed by the will of God. He knew that the scriptures spoke of it, the scriptures predicted it, that he would one day suffer and die and be crucified for the sins of his people to bring them back to the Father. 
And he kept telling the disciples in this passage, as you saw in, in the passage after this and the passage before, he kept on telling them, I got to suffer. I got to die. I got to go to death because that's the only way. And Jesus asked the father at the garden, is that the only way? Jesus says, Lord, if there is any other way, reveal it to me. And after agonizing with sweats of blood, Jesus agonized, literally dripping blood and tears. And hours later, the will of God brought about perfect peace that he was able to say, not my will, but you will be done. And it's so liberating because when we come to God in prayer and we say, God, I'm on my knees begging and pleading, but when we can say, God, your will be done in my life, and I agree with you, and I want to agree with you. I struggle. I have discomfort. I don't know what that looks like, but God, I want to trust you. I want to love you. I want to know you, and I want to be able to live in your will. Prayer is not so much for God's benefit. It is for ourselves. Because then we get reminded of the fact that prayer reminds us that in the process of praying, asking, pleading, that our hearts conform to his will and not to mine. Um, and so that's where I think that's what we see here is that in verse 20, 20 and 21, We're not saying that you have to have incredible amounts of faith. In fact, a lot of us, we struggle on a day-to-day -day basis in that. But sometimes as we pray and as we plead and as we continue to do that, Lord, I need, we, sometimes we need to ask God, Lord, because you love me, you're allowing me to go through this, whatever suffering or whether struggle or whatever joys or whatever it is. God, I just, but I just want to be like you. Verse 21, it says that Jesus says this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And um, sometimes prayers are not answered according to our will. Um, it's often different from our own plans, and, and yet that's a good thing. Because, you know, when failure happens, it, it reroutes us to go in a different direction. Very often that the Lord uses those different directions um, for his glory and also for, for our good. Um, but just letting you know that there is a spiritual warfare here. I do see that there are kinds of evil spirits and levels of stronghold and uh, levels of, um, uh, of, of spiritual strongholds and things that I don't fully understand. I'm continuing to follow that, but I know that there's a kingdom of darkness pushing against the kingdom of light. From the very beginning, we've been locked into this cosmic struggle and there are people, maybe groups of people, maybe even cities that are, maybe even generations as we see in this passage that they're going through sin struggles that the enemy has put on and that's just deeper than just like, oh, I sinned and I did wrong. But there are some clouds, some dark, deep strongholds that are, that are, that are at work at this place. Do we need to appeal for a higher authority? Do we need to get a bunch of people to pray? Do we need to walk around like Jericho and walk around seven times blowing trumpets? I don't know. It's all possible, but Jesus doesn't give much color to this one. He just says, this kind can only comes out through prayer. And I think it's so cool because Jesus directs us out of this really crazy and just a doozy of a passage. And he says to us, 
this kind can come out through prayer. Meaning, Jesus is saying, this is, it's, it's coming back to me. Come to Jesus. Be in my presence daily. Be in love with me and receive my love for you as sons and daughters of the living God. Know me through prayer. Even God, wreck my plans if that means that I would grow deeper in love uh, for you and with you and that I would be able to be released into something better and something greater. And so as we close and as we think through that, as we think that as our faith in Jesus sometimes could fail. Sometimes we have to see that our failures are actually God's gifts of love to us because it puts us to an end to our own self-working, our striving, and our doing, and then brings us straight to our knees in prayer before the Lord Jesus. Faith is not built on mountaintops, but in failure. And we have to come to a point in which our faith And when we experience failure, and yet when we put our faith in Christ and what he is and who he is for you, and when we put it in for what he can do, God can use it to move mountains. And so where is the areas in which the Lord is leading you to plead for his will? Maybe you're in just a deep darkness and deep struggle of just trying to figure out what's gonna happen this next week. Maybe it's just struggling through things of your marriage or things of, um, in, in, in your lives of your kids and you're just struggling through that. Maybe you just, you're in the deep darkness and deep pit of despair because of some recent failures and struggles that you're going through. I just wanna encourage you that the Lord God sees you. He knows you and he delights in you. And he's yet, he's using these failures and whatever things you're struggling with to bring you back to him. And just like Lauren just learned that sometimes we don't need to perform, but sometimes we just need to rest. Rest in who you are and rest in that the Spirit wants to speak to you and love you. So right now, wherever you are, we just, um, let's just spend some time and just deep meditation and reflect on what the Lord was speaking to us in this space. And let the Lord just kind of direct your heart and your mind. Maybe if you're just struggling through some deep failures and you just need somebody just to confess then and just share that with, we just want to encourage you to come up for prayer in a few moments. And, and just, just as we experience at the retreat, to experience afresh that Lord, even though we are like the prodigal son, the prodigal son that has wasted away his life and on material things and pleasures and possessions, that you are a God who is stronger than death and stronger than Satan and stronger than any of our failures that, that, that we have gone through and experienced, that we may have experienced just a mountain of things that have been thrown at us today. But there is a God whose love is like a mountain and he's waiting to put his touch and his care over you today.